Today's episode of Latino in Chicago is brought to you by UBAC. Learn more about supporting Chicago's nonprofit community at this year's Giving Tuesday celebration on November 29th. Visit ubacforgood.com. That's letter U B A C K F O R G O O D.com for more information. Thanks for tuning in to Latino in Chicago. This is your host, Eric Lugo. Today's episode features Sylvia Puente, the executive director of the Latino Policy Forum, the only public policy and advocacy organization in the Chicago metropolitan area working to improve educational outcomes for children, make housing accessible and affordable, promote just immigration reform, and build the influence and leadership of the Latino community. Our conversation today focuses on the forum's impact strategy and its evolution, data supporting the successes and challenges of the Latino community. Sylvia shares reflections on the farm workers movement and what inspired her to get engaged in policy and the forum's work to position and cultivate Latino and African-American leaders. As always, I hope you enjoy. Here's Sylvia. Thanks for being on Latino in Chicago, Sylvia. It's good to see you. Oh, thank you, Eric. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, so why don't we start talking a little bit about the Latino Policy Forum? Sure. So the Latino Policy Forum, the way I see our big picture agenda, is that we all know that the Latino community has grown tremendously, tremendously, but resources, investment, equity has not kept pace with that growth. So as the forum undertakes any issue, we start with what would equality, what would equity, what would justice look like? And we do the analysis, the measure, the metric to determine what that gulf of equality or inequality is. We do that by focusing on the issues of early education. And early education is so important because while a lot of our community and even in the national presidential debate, immigration is front and center, um, edu education is second generation and that's what we need for the mobilization for the future of our children. And in our education space, we focus on early education because all the research and analysis shows that if children get an early start, a head start, they can do well um, in their academic careers. So we focus on early education, affordable housing, just immigration reform. And then I always say because we can't do everything on every single issue, we really work at strengthening the leadership of the Latino community through our Latino Agenda, which is the largest Latino coalition in the state, and through our Leadership Academy. Um, the forum now has active engagement with about 100 organizational partners who literally are members in our Acuerdos. So we have an Acuerdo in Early Education, an Acuerdo in Housing, an Acuerdo in Immigration, and our Latino Agenda. And let me just give you one measure of what I talked about when I, when I meant when I said inequality. We know that Latino children are the largest demographic of young children in, in the state of Illinois. We know there's lots of research that talks about the importance of early education. But only about 40%, 4 out of 10 of our Latino children are enrolled in early education in the state, compared to at least 6 out of 10 of all other children. Mm -hmm. So there's a gap. Yeah. And that gap doesn't exist because parents don't want their children enrolled. Often it's because there aren't enough places and spaces in our neighborhoods, especially outside of Chicago, where the Latino community has grown tremendously. How did the forum get started? 
Oh, really good question, Eric. We have a long history and a long legacy. Um, at our board meeting last night, one of our board members commented that he's been connected to us for 35 years because going back to the Harold Washington days, there was a committee on Latino issues that focused on housing. That turned into an organization called Latinos United, which is around for almost 20 years. And then about 10 years ago, uh, we started talking about there's a need for more than just housing. Mm -hmm. And that resulted in Latinos United transitioning into Latino Policy Forum and become and going from just a single issue of housing into the multi-issue organization that we are now. We completed that process about eight and a half years ago uh, after numerous conversations. Uh, we talked to about 600 leaders around the region and focus groups to say what were the policy issues and concerns. There's an amazing publication on our website and American Agenda from a Latino perspective that even though it's now about nine years old, I think it's still very relevant in naming and highlighting all of the issues. And we went back to folks because it was everything that we still know is necessary. Education, housing, immigration, criminal justice, safety, health care. And I said, well, this is great, but at that point we were a three-person organization. We can't do it all, right? Um, and we asked community leaders to prioritize. And they said education, and we said, well, even that's too big. And they said, early education. Um, and early education, even though we're a multi-issue organization, early education is 60% of our bandwidth and where we spend the bulk of our time and energy. And then another little history point, since, um, is there was an organization that was around for about 25 years called the Latino Institute. And in many ways, it was our predecessor organization because it was a multi-issue organization. It was groundbreaking in its time because when it was created in the 70s, uh, Latino was a new term. Mm. And Latino was named Latino Institute because it was a way of acknowledging and recognizing what was necessary in terms of the Puerto Rican and the Mexican community in Chicago. Mm -hmm. It was one of the first organizations in the country to have Latino in its name. Mm. And it, unfortunately, crashed and burned in the late 1990s. So there was also this gap, and people are saying, well, we have Latinos United, but there's this gap because the Latino Institute is no longer around. And so there were groups of leaders that literally met for several years saying, what do we do and how do we address this? And that eventually resulted in the La Latinos United becoming Latino Policy Forum. That's awesome. Um, you know, I've often I've heard you, you know, speak to a a moment when it it seems like the Latinos United or the Latino Institute was on the cusp, and you had a series of conversations with philanthropy about mm -hmm. the importance of these institutions. Correct. Could I ask you to just re maybe reflect on that conversation a little bit? Yeah. Um, I always found it to be uh, very impressive. Oh, interesting. So Latino. Latinos United, I mean, Latino Institute unfortunately died, as I said, in the late 90s, and I had actually been there for eight years. Um, I joined the board of Latinos United, not be because I was interested in this transition to what more and what else could be. And Latinos United, um, like a lot of small organizations, they go through cycles of robustness and then some challenges. And when uh, we had a leadership transition and um, Latinos United was in a challenging space. 
Um, but, you know, we had these amazing leaders around the table that just saying there needs to be an organization like this. And so we went to go meet with, with philanthropy mm -hmm. and asked them to invest. And in a lot of ways, there was really nothing for them to invest in. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think there was maybe one staff person at that time. But I remember one of those philanthropists, and um, I'm not going to name everybody that went into the room, but there were some key organizational leaders that were part of the board at that time, and her response is, oh my gosh, this is like the leadership of the Latino community. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I wouldn't go that far. And she said, well, it's at least the moral leadership mm -hmm. of the Latino community. Mm -hmm. And that was an interesting observation and reflection for me mm -hmm. in terms of the five of us, um, I think, that, w w that we're meeting with them. And we made the compelling case about just the growth and the need for a Latino policy organization mm -hmm. and the need for a Latino voice. And the growth of the Latino community and how important that was. And this is about probably nine years ago. We were really fortunate, and then we got three of the major foundations in town to invest six figures mm -hmm. to sort of relaunch, rebirth mm -hmm. the Latino policy forum. Sylvia, so, can you tell us a little bit about your journey to the policy forum? Um, I know you were engaged for several years prior yeah. to taking on the role of executive director, but What's your background and what's your history in this space? Yeah. Well, that's an interesting question. Um, I'm going to go back. Um, there's a picture that you can't see, but it's uh, those of you on the podcast, but I'm showing Eric right now up there. And it's a picture that I saw when the um, Americanos, Latino Americanos, was coming out, which is the PBS series, mm -hmm. right? So it was a picture they were using for a lot of those promotional materials. And in the front is Dolores Huerta. Mm -hmm. Behind him is a, is a labor leader. Mm -hmm. uh, and behind them is someone carrying a picket sign. Okay. And that's a 14-year-old me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and so both of my parents were farm workers. And um, we did a lot around the farm worker movement when I was very young. And that's what I did through all of my adolescence. And so somehow during those days of protest politics, when I saw the movement that was coming together, and I'm getting a little emotional for those of you on the podcast, yeah. if you can't tell. Um, somehow, and then that's another picture of me over there, again during the same era of the 70s, when I was um, a marshal for a protest march of the United Farm Workers. And I'm like, I'm 15 years old. How am I being asked to be a marshal for this march? Yeah. But we had um, some organizers living with my family at the time, and they got to know me, and they said, Sylvia, you're going to be a marshal for the march. And yeah. I didn't even know what a marshal for being a, for a protest march was, yeah. right? Yeah. But during that era, somehow the thought came to me, protest politics is good, and we need that, and we need to mobilize our communities. Protest politics isn't enough. You need the data. You need the information. You need to show what the gap of equality or inequality is. I don't know where that thought came from, but it came to me when I was probably about 17 or 18 years old. Yeah. I had no idea what that meant. Yeah. And it literally wasn't until my third job out of college, literally my third job out of college, my second job out of college was I was um, a fellow in the governor's office, so I got broad exposure to... Uh, Illinois politics and I'm beginning to understand that was the beginning of my policy journey 
And my job after that was I was an analyst in the Bureau of the Budget. Mm -hmm. And I realized that all these people around me who were analyzing state budgets, and literally I was responsible for three different state budgets, even though I had no idea what I was doing, but they all had this <laughs> degree in public policy but me. Yeah. And public policy, I had no idea that there was such a discipline. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that something existed like that. But when I began to understand what public policy was, I said, oh, that's it. Mm -hmm. That's the training that I need. Because public policy is what gives you the skill set to be able to really understand and analyze gaps. Mm -hmm. And a lot of sense, it's all basic economics 101, mm -hmm. supply and demand. Mm -hmm. How much is there and how much should there be? Yeah. And that's really how I think about how we do all of our analysis. How much is there? How much early education is there? How much affordable housing is there? What are the parameters for just immigration reform? And given what we know about the demand for the Latino community, how much should there be? Yeah. And I've had various, so that started me on this degree towards public policy, which mm -hmm. everyone has their story. Mm -hmm. Took me 10 years um, from the time I thought about it, stopping and starting uh, to finally finish. Mm -hmm. So I didn't finish my graduate degree till 10 years out of mm -hmm. undergrad. Um, and then since that time, I've had been fortunate to be in some version, prior iteration of this position. Mm -hmm. I was at the Latino Institute for eight years. I was fortunate to be at Notre Dame Head Institute for Latino Studies. Mm -hmm. And I was fortunate to be able to manage projects there. Um, and then coming out to the board of Latinos United, um, we had a transitional executive director who I'm forever grateful to because she really helped with a smooth transition from Latinos United to the Latino Policy Forum. Mm -hmm. And I've been here now almost eight years. Mm -hmm. So I've been in this this kind of space for nearly for 25 years. Yeah. And going back to those early days uh, when I lived and worked in Springfield, and I want to share this story. When I took that fellowship in the governor's office, I had a corporate job right out of college. I literally took a third of a cut in salary yeah. and moved from Chicago to Springfield. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I really have never looked back. Yeah. And clearly that was a challenge. Clearly that wasn't an easy thing to do. But it really embarked me, I think, on, on this journey of then getting that degree in public policy. Yeah. But, but really understanding this idea that how do we make government accountable? Mm -hmm. and the gift and the challenge of that is that we unfortunately have to be knocking on the door saying what Latino equity looks like mm -hmm. because I have not seen it happen internally in a robust way. The mm -hmm. government has really undertaken that analysis. Mm -hmm. Now we've been fairly fortunate in that when we knock on the door, um, we have conversations, we begin to talk about what equality could look like. But most policy change really is incremental. Yeah. It really is step by step. It's very time consuming. It never happens quickly enough. Mm -hmm. And as frustrating as that can be to me, I often think, what would it be like if we weren't having this conversation at all? Yeah. What would it be like if we weren't there with the leaders that we um, organize with us when we go to have these conversations? then we wouldn't be seeing any of this change at all. Yeah. It wouldn't be on the radar, radar of government at all. Mm -hmm. We are the vehicle for that. Yeah. So I'm pleased that, you know, I can, you know, 
we had an unfortunate situation just happen, a high level Latino at the Illinois, um, at the Illinois, um, Illinois State Board of Education mm -hmm. was unfortunately just let go, mm -hmm. um, and I'm not happy about it. Yeah. <laughs> but I called the governor's education person and said, what's this about? Yeah. Right? And I don't know that anything's going to change, but at least we were able to register our, our protest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is a, I think, great way to transition into speaking to challenges of um, our community. Um, certainly the policy forum thinks about Illinois very expansively. Mm -hmm. You, I think, alluded to the paradox that you've yes. talked about a little earlier, but can you speak to the, um, the challenge landscape that Latinos face uh, yeah. in Chicago and, and in Illinois? Yeah, you know, it, it certainly is challenging given the economic, um, economic times you're living in, given the political times that we're living in, the rhetoric that's unfortunately coming out of the presidential campaign. But I say it's, I often say the way that I think about the Latino community is a paradox because while there are clear challenges, for every challenge there's also something good happening mm -hmm. in terms of economic mo mobility, prosperity for the Latino community as well. Mm -hmm. The challenge is that we have these two competing trends happening at the same time. An example, poverty, right? So unfortunately, we've seen growth in poverty over the past decade. We moved from 16 to 20 percent of Latinos. One out of every five of the 2.2 million Latinos in the state of Illinois living in poverty, mm -hmm. which means living at under about $24,000 for a family of four. Mm -hmm. Right. So the struggles, the hardship, what that represents when you have such limited economic resources. At the same time. We're seeing great economic mobility in the Latino community, and that we're now at the point where about almost 30 percent of Latino households are earning over $75,000 a year. Wow. So both trends are increasing at the same time. Mm -hmm. Look at education, for example. Uh, we're still challenged in that you know too many don't have a high school degree. We barely have seen the percentage of college graduates increase. Mm -hmm. We're now at about 13, so 13 out of every 100 Latino adults having a college degree. Yeah. But the flip side of that, the paradox is that, is because of demographic growth, the number of Latino graduates has doubled in the state of Illinois mm. just since 2000. Mm -hmm. So again, competing trends. Mm -hmm. the, the struggles of education, we've made some improvements in that high school graduation have graduation rates have increased but are not where they need to be. Mm -hmm. But we also have this sector of the Latino community that's still young mm -hmm. in their careers, but, but doing okay. Yeah. And you can take that into in any indicator, voting. Mm -hmm. The paradox is that the voter turnout in the Latino community is not good. Mm -hmm. And in Illinois, there are more eligible Latino voters who don't vote than do. Mm -hmm. So we're not even realizing nearly our political potential. Mm -hmm. But again, because of demographic growth, the number of Latino voters in every election continues to increase. Yeah. So I really see this paradox. And the good news, the good news, bad news, is the challenges are clearly there on any issue. Um, the, the good news is that we're seeing improvement. But what makes that, what concerns me about that is in what's happening to the middle, mm -hmm. right? And even the high end of our paradox is still not affluent, right? right. 
but we see this we see this potential for you know and in a sense it's no different what the overall trend is for the nation is yeah. what's happening to the middle class mm -hmm. right and that's especially acute for the Latino community because when we see a diminishing Latino middle class we're seeing increased poverty mm -hmm. and the all the challenges accompanied with that yeah what do you think uh, Chicago or Illinois can improve on? What are the things that um, aren't necessarily working really well right now for Latinos? Yeah, well that's a really good question, Eric. You know, um, it's, you know, one, one of them is just that the, the, the demands are so big, the issues are so challenging, how do you begin to make a dent, right? Um, I think that there are still many, as while well, the Latino Policy Forum prides ourselves in saying we're taking Latinos to decision-making tables. There are still many decision-making tables that we're not invited to. There are still many issues where we're not considered. Mm -hmm. um, and certainly with all respect to the African-American community, I think that the issue of violence in the African-American community um, overplays or overwhelms the violence that we see in the Latino community, mm -hmm. right? And. I never want to be in a position of, you know, both communities are clearly in need, but there aren't enough conversations happening at all levels of the political spectrum yeah. that need to be happening. We don't have enough uber leaders, if you will, or uber wealthy people, if you will, sitting at all of the right tables to have these conversations. Um, and I thir certainly think that, you know, philanthropy hasn't been as responsive as it could be or as it should be. And by that, I don't necessarily mean the traditional foundations, but we know that a lot of the wealth is really um, happening in family foundations. And I know I've had conversations with some of the folks that manage these, and I said, can I at least come and share a little bit about the Latino community? I'm not even talking about the Latino Policy Forum. Let me help the folks you work with, the donors you have, the philanthropists you have, better understand the Latino community. Mm -hmm. And the answer I've gotten more than once is, well, I can't really do that unless it's an issue that they're interested in. Mm -hmm. So we're not even on their radar yeah. to a large degree. And that's something I think that is really concerning. Because mm -hmm. we see, obviously, the wealth in this, you know, we see the growing economic wealth and concentration um, in the one and the two percent. And if we're not on their radar, mm -hmm. how are we going to be able to make inroads into them understanding who the, the the largest growing community is in the nation. Yeah. What do you uh, think Chicago's good at? Mm. You know, Chicago really does have robust civic leadership, right? Um, and I think that um, it takes some work sometimes, but it's not that hard to get an introduction to someone that you might want to know. Mm -hmm. I think that Chicago although it's transitioned somewhat, still has pretty responsible corporate leadership mm -hmm. that is really stepping to the forefront on a lot of the issues that mm -hmm. are concerned to all, all of us. And Chicago is really good at, and I think we forget this from, from where I sit, um, Chicago was the both birthplace of social work and the whole settlement house movement. Mm -hmm. So we have storied institutions in our community that have always served immigrants. Yeah and are now primarily serving Latino immigrants and the children of immigrants that are 100 plus years old, mm -hmm. right? And Chicago is the home and the birthplace of community organizing. Yeah. And when we look at those two social movements 
and the intersection of those two social movements. Uh, we really have robust leadership voices, community organizations, who are at least articulating what the challenges are. So why don't we transition a little bit into leadership? Um, and in your time as a leader in this community and an executive leader of this organization, are there things you wish you knew before you <laughs> jumped into the role? Well, first of all, I want to say that I think for me the definition of leadership is especially as it relates to the Latino community, it's community leadership. Mm -hmm. It's collective leadership. Mm -hmm. And although I get to sit in this seat, um, our strength and our power really comes from the network of leaders of nearly 100 organizations that we work with. Mm -hmm. When Latino Policy Forum goes to negotiate with the governor's office or with a government official, we always have, almost always have community leadership with us who articulate what the challenges are. Mm -hmm. So that's the forum part of the Latino Policy Forum name and that we are conveners. Mm -hmm. um, so that I, I don't believe in this model of sort of individualized leadership and, you know, I'm the leader mm -hmm. because I'm not, mm -hmm. right? Um, I'm fortunate to sit in this seat, but it really is this model of collective leadership. Mm -hmm. And to that I say that anyone and everyone, especially young people, we all have a responsibility for leadership in whatever sphere, whatever your sphere of influence is. Mm -hmm. And everybody has a sphere of influence. Yeah. In your family, with younger siblings, with other neighbors and children on your block. If you made it to college, you can help someone fill out their FAFSA, you can help read their college essay, you can go mentor a seventh grader, right? Yeah. We all have that capacity. And that's, to me, what leadership is. It's that collective leadership of stepping outside of yourself to really bring someone along with you so that you're not standing there alone. Mm -hmm. Having said that, I really wish early on I would have understand better the, the power and um, of networking, mm -hmm. you know, I, I mean, I really can say that I haven't had a, a lot of mentorship in my life. I've sort of had to figure this all out on my own. And mm -hmm. I'm a little better at doing that today than I was 20 years ago, but I certainly haven't sought advice from people as much as I wish I would have or could have mm -hmm. in terms of gaining others' perspective. Um, I certainly haven't sought advice on my own career track, mm -hmm. um, something else that maybe I would have, should have could have done if I would have known better or known differently. Um, and I, I think I don't have, I have many regrets, um, but you know, I think the policy analysis lens and framework has served me well. Um, but I realize I'm as old as I am and I've never done uh, the traditional community organizing training mm -hmm. that Chicago is so well known for, mm -hmm. to at least that, have that as one of the tools in my toolkit. Yeah. Tools in my toolkit. Um, and then I wish, you know, this is, I think, always a constant dan dance and a constant challenge, but as we are obviously a Latino policy, a collective voice for the Latino community, um, what are, you know, and this is a constant reflection, how can we be more strategic, how can we be more focused, how can re we really discern what measurable impact is going to be mm -hmm. for our community? Um, you know, another question I've asked several leaders is, uh, what literature is informing your work today? Mm. What types of books are, are you thinking or reading about that are helping guide maybe some of the things that you're reflecting on? Yeah, good question. Um, 
uh, I'd say I, I approach it from a couple of different ways. You know, the pragmatic stuff. Mm -hmm. So I just printed these three different uh, reports that were done and how do you measure impact in a policy organization. Mm -hmm. Because measuring impact is hard. We're not training people. We're mm -hmm. not helping kids get to college, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you measure impact in a policy organization and how do we break that down? Mm -hmm. So we're finishing up strategic planning, so mm -hmm. I'm re-looking at that to mm -hmm. say what are going to be our measures of impact. And then part of it is also just a reminder of who we are and where we come from. Uh, I've just picked up a book that's called Indian Givers. Mm. And it really lays out what the indigenous community has given to the world. Mm. And it starts by saying Latino, in the indigenous communities of, of our this hemisphere mm -hmm. gave capitalism to the world. Wow. Because when the Spanish came to South America and really uh, mined the silver and gold and took silver and gold back to Europe, mm -hmm. that allowed commerce to move beyond trade. Mm. It monetized commerce. Wow. And this book is laying out all of the contributions that we neglect, that we take, that we don't even acknowledge of what indigenous communities have given to the world. Wow. So it's that little piece of like history that's like, <laughs> yeah, we have something to be pr proud of here. Yeah. Now it has been abused maybe to an extent, right? And then, the, and then my third bucket of reading is, um, for me, my own personal meditation, reflection, spiritual, because mm -hmm. I've got to be grounded in something to do this work, yeah. right? So just remembering that it's not about me, that mm -hmm. there is a higher power, and I'm just here as an instrument to be guided to do that work. Yeah. Sylvia, what's your vision for our community in Chicago and Illinois? Well, my immediate vision is really how do we continue to nurture leadership. Yeah. Um, so I want to make sure that there's five people that can do my job, mm -hmm. right? It should not be. It's, and I really have been a try, very intentional trying to cultivate that at the Latino Policy Forum, and that we have tremendous leaders and tremendous vision, and mm -hmm. they have tremendous influence and access. So really nurturing and cultivating that leadership is I think really important across all of our community. And of course, I want what we all want, right? Economic security, all of our kids to have economic opportunity, have a good education, which obviously continues to be a challenge. But you know, we've also just recently relaunched our Leadership Academy um, to be intentional, intentional about cultivating a network of Latino and African American leaders. Mm. And that is long overdue yeah. um, in the city as segregated as Chicago. And it's very nascent, but I think holds tremendous promise for what I want to see for our city and our future, that our communities will not be siloed, that mm -hmm. our communities will not be segregated, mm -hmm. and that we will have an African-American and Latino alliance that's willing to stand together on issues of importance to our communities. Amazing, amazing. How can folks help? Oh, wow. Well. Go to latinopolicyforum.org. <laughs> um, just keep up with all of what we're doing, all of our analysis. Yeah. Uh, we do put out things that we ask people to respond to in terms yeah. of advocacy. So respond to our advocacy alerts. And then um, certainly hit that donation button. And mm -hmm. uh, November 10th of this year will be our policy breakfast. We'd love for people to come and 
we're going to have an amazing speaker from Washington, D.C., who's going to be talking about education. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, people, most people don't know this. We're in this real critical time in education right now because we have new federal education legislation that's been passed that won't be implemented until next year. But all the planning on what it means, how do we measure accountability, how do we measure outcomes for what our students' uh, educational future is going to look like for the next generation of students is literally being planned right now. Wow. And I'm pleased to see that we're at numerous tables contributing the Latino policy forms perspective on what that means for our students and our children. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, so, Eric. Yeah, and for sharing all of your stories. That was really amazing. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks again for listening. That was Sylvia Puente, Executive Director of the Latino Policy Forum. Stay tuned next week for a conversation with Rick Estrada, President and CEO of Metropolitan Family Services. If you're enjoying the show and want to help others find it, please remember to rate and review Latino in Chicago on iTunes or wherever you stream podcasts from. Have a great week. Peace.